Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelis Club. This is episode number 68 for March 2016. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Phineas Club. This is a show where we talk about the things that have been happening in the world over the past uh, month or so. Last episode was a special episode about uh, clicks in high school. What happens uh, in those weird American high schools that uh, uh, get different kinds of people sorted in different groups. And no, that's not the plot of the movie and uh, book series Divergent, although... It seems very much inspired by that. Um, My name is Patrick Beja, and this is a regular episode where we get people from different countries to tell us uh, what's been happening in their country um, over the past month. We have today a bunch of lovely people. Uh, First of all, Brecky joining us again. How's it going, Brecky? From Sweden. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, We also have Mahmoud, who is uh, back from UAE and also from Jordan. So you you were born in Jordanian, but Mm -hmm. you live in UAE. Yeah, I work and live here for the past like four years. Okay. Uh, And I'm happy to be back. Yay! Everyone's happy. Um, Well, okay, we do have a grave topic as well to discuss. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, it's my luck, man. Every time I come on, there's a bombing somewhere <laughs> in the world. Well, you know, it's it's kind of. Um, uh, well, we'll discuss it when we get to it. But I, I'm wondering if we're not yeah. getting kind of desensitized to all of this. But uh, certainly, someone who's felt this very strongly is Guillaume, uh, who's with us from uh, Belgium. How's it going, Guillaume? Uh, it's going okay, I guess. <laughs> it's uh, going. C- could could be better. But uh, yeah. th- thank you very much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for being on. Um, so obviously, I think we're going to discuss the uh, the attacks in, in Brussels that happened only a few days ago. Um, I'm sure, you know, actually, I'm not sure. I was going to say, I'm sure that everyone will have things they want to talk about, but... Hmm. It's kind of uh, it was kind of weird the way I perceived it. I mean, we've had two attacks in France, two terrorist attacks in France in 2015 and it's not, you know, Belgium and France are very close in many ways. You also one of the language languages you speak there is French and mm-hmm. uh we're very close geographically. You're sort of the the cousins. But yeah, I guess that's fair to say. Yeah. But for me, it was, yeah, for me, it was almost, you know, I'm wondering if I'm reaching a point of, and I'm, it's terrible to say, but a point of, all right, yet another one, 
Fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sort of felt that um, on the on these social medias. Um, back during the Paris attacks, I mean, obviously there are a lot of uh, connections, a lot of parallels to be drawn between um, the Paris attacks and and these ones. But um, uh, yeah, when I was watching all the reactions on Twitter and stuff, uh, I could tell that people were a lot less affected by these ones than they were during the Paris attacks. Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, Did you guys... uh you know Brecky and Mahmoud is it is it the same kind of uh, uh ah in french we say lassitude we're getting tired of this but not tired like angry but tired getting not tired angry it. tired whatever kind of mm-hmm. you know i understand how terrible it is to say something like this but uh, yes. i don't know maybe Brecky who's uh, also in europe um yes i would actually say definitely um one of the uh, Things that I remember, I mean, the, the latest uh, Paris attack was, you know, less than half a year ago. And I still remember, you know, all the people changing their Facebook profile pictures and writing all of these posts on Facebook and so on. And now with this latest, it's it's noticeable how much less there is of that mm-hmm. kind of thing going on. It's it's almost as if this is becoming the new status quo. It's like, okay, so another bombing has happened. Another, you know, handful of, you know, many dozens of people have died. Well, oh, well, this this stuff happens and that's that's becoming a really scary thought mm-hmm. that people um, are are this jaded. Mahmoud, how about you? Uh, yeah, well, I've been jaded, if you will, since the mid nineties. <laughs> For me, this is <laughs> this is not a new situation. Uh, definitely tired of it. Definitely don't care so much as uh, the things that used to affect me directly back uh, in the 90s and it all started with me for uh, the Palestinian thing uh, which was a dominant issue throughout the 80s and 90s but after the the Iraq war and uh, till now definitely you know I don't just I don't care no more it happens yeah it's it's interesting that you're referencing things that happened in the Middle East Middle East because obviously I think for us the the strings of attack understandably are very much in uh western europe and that's what affects us i think we've had a number of them but in recent years we've had more um but for you what you're saying is you're tired of it i mean you're you're used to it not because of the ones we're talking about maybe starting with 9-11 a few ones before in in paris as well but because it's been around around you like much closer like yeah all my all my life not just Mm. my adult life all my life it's it's been around and uh uh, the the thing with with what's happening in western europe is for us it's the surprise that it's happening in france and happening in belgium and and london and uh so what Uh, it's just the surprise factor it's not the tragedy that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we used to feel when it wouldn't happened uh, earlier all right, uh, we'll come back to that, and I definitely want to address uh, parts of that idea uh, as well. But uh, let's let's get give Guillaume a, a, a little bit to discuss this. Like, how did it go? I mean, obviously for us, it's it's less, mm-hmm. it's affecting us less. But I mean, it happened in in around you in your city, so right. all well, too familiar. L- like you were saying, I mean, a big factor here is the fact that. It's shocking. I mean, it's very surprising. It's 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 different from when it happens in Lebanon or in in Pakistan or Afghanistan. Um, so a, a big a, 
one word that comes to mind is you know disenchantment you know uh, you 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 wake up in brussels you you you're not used to feeling unsafe um so uh, for those who need a reminder what what happened is uh, there were two suicide bombers in uh, at the at the airport and uh, another one in the in the subway uh, at uh, Malbec um and Malbec is actually uh, it, it's at the um, the the low street the, the rue de la loi um and uh, that's actually the low that con- the, the the street that connects um the European Commission to uh, the Royal Palace. So it's like a big, important street. Uh, it's right next to the European Parliament. And th- that's that's a subway station everyone goes through all the time. Uh, actually, I, I was supposed to be there only a couple of hours later. Um, so it's really... I mean, you... you when you, you think you really of, feel that it could have been... It could have affected you. I mean, it could have been anyone, really. But what I mean is that uh, you... you yeah you, you 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 think about what happened and you feel like yeah it's it's not it's uh, you, yeah you don't feel you, you yeah you feel disenchantment you feel like you've lost some a certain level of safety um right um so do, do you guys have any questions in particular or actually let let me turn to mahmoud just for a second and then i'll come back to you guillaume that feeling that he's talking about guillaume is that a feeling that is familiar to you as it relates to what you were saying that it's been happening all your life or is it not this has it not been this close to you uh, personally um for 30 years mahmoud you're talking to me or yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. mahmoud sorry yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well, as I said, it's uh, it's been in my life uh, since uh, as as long as I can remember, starting with the uh, first intifada in the mid '80s, uh, which happened in Palestine, uh, and that was live broadcasted on the TV. Uh, back then, as it happens right now, uh, with the Iraq War, uh, what people were saying that uh, why did it, uh, it affect so much people and engage so much people? It was live broadcasted everywhere in the world. For the Palestinian issue, when I was just about six, seven, eight years old, uh, it was live broadcasted in Jordan, what was happening in Palestine. Definitely not to the rest of the world, but because we are so close and because we are originally Palestinian, uh, it uh, it was directly uh, broadcasted to us. And I've been living with that since, you know, and after that, there came the peace treaty, the second intifada, then the Iraq war, then the Afghanistan war, and all of that. So, And all the bombings that coincided with that everywhere in the world. So, but, uh, but I mean, I'm, did, I'm, yeah. Did, did it feel like you were, does it feel like you, do you feel unsafe, I guess, is a better way of putting it? Do you personally mm, feel unsafe? No, not really. Okay, no, no. okay. so it uh, doesn't go that In far. fact, yeah, it's, it's the opposite. I, I, I feel safe. Really? Uh, yeah, in Jordan as well he, uh, as here in the UAE, I feel completely safe. I've never been in that situation where I was afraid uh, for my life from any immediate danger or maybe in the near future. It didn't happen. Okay, right. Well, um, the I, I was just saying that I felt unsafe. Well, the truth is, it's it's closer to what Patrick was saying is that uh, I, I think of what happened and I feel like it could have been me. It could have been anyone. But really, right now, uh, if I have to walk down the street I, or go in the center of town or anything, I wouldn't say I feel threatened or in danger. So, 
all right. So does it feel... Uh, does it feel... Uh, what was the sentiment like when it happened to, you know, your neighboring country in Paris and, and you know, the difference right. between... Well, the, the, the difference... The difference, first of all, is that uh, in Paris, the, the events were slightly different in the sense that there were, I think, uh, about a thousand people stuck in the concert room and uh, 10 terrorists going around with uh, uh, machine guns, killing everyone one by one. And it was live on Twitter. And I remember um, just checking Twitter at that moment and seeing people like tweeting in panic, what's happening there? And uh, People say, tweeting, I'm going to die in a couple of minutes. And it was really, really shocking. I, I remember being seriously um, kind of traumatized by, by those events. Um, in this case, it was more like I, I, I woke up in the morning um, and I heard on the radio something about two explosions somewhere. And I just assumed it was in a faraway country, just just not in Brussels. And it was in Brussels. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the events uh, themselves were different. So, obviously, the, the way I reacted were uh, yeah. different in, in, because the, the explosions were just, I mean, it, it lasts only one second. But with the, the events in Paris right. were just lasted several hours. How, um, how was, we, we always like to talk about how the media is reporting on things. How would you characterize the way the Belgian media has reported on these events? Um, I mean, it's obviously, um, it's, obviously everyone's very sad. The, the, the media are, are not uh, criticizing the government. They're, they're not crit uh, going after someone in particular. It's just a lot of, um, I mean, every, everyone's dealing with their losses. Everyone's very sad. Um, I I'm, I'm not sure. There were officials that uh, offered their resignation. Yes, that's right. Um, so uh, the the Minister of Interior and the Minister of uh, Justice uh, both offered to resign because, the, I mean, we're getting into details, but basically um, the, the the two uh, the two terrorists, the one that was in at the airport and the one that. Uh, was in the subway are two brothers uh, called the El Bakhawi brothers, and uh, thing is they they had both been arrested. They were they were both being tracked by Interpol, and uh, they were both supposed to be in jail. So like one of them opened fire uh, on police in 2010, and then in something like 2014 he got a conditional uh, liberation release, is, that, yeah. is that the uh, yeah a conditional release and um uh he 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 broke it he went to syria he got he got he got uh, he missed uh, his uh, his appointment with with his parole officer he got caught uh, by the turkish police in in at the border uh, to, between uh, turkey and syria and so he he was he had broken all all his all his terms. So he was supposed to be in jail, but he was not. So so there are a lot of oddities when you look at all the facts. Like you you feel like someone somewhere screwed up, and that these people were supposed to be in jail, but they were not. And so the the minister of the interior and the minister of justice uh, just felt like it was the right thing to do to resign. But their resignation was not accepted, right? No, no, it was not. Uh, the the prime minister, um, 
Charles Michel uh, offer uh, just refused. Okay, so there is there is not uh, it didn't start a game of finger pointing and accusation, I guess. Um, no, not that much. I mean, every, everyone's being very calm, very just um, just very silent at the moment. Okay. All right. Um, I, I'd like to come back to one thing. I was one thought that I uh, that came through my mind, and and maybe explore it with all of you guys. It seems like maybe with the exception of Guillaume. Um, People are, are, as we were discussing, starting to get uh, a little bit numb to all of this. And I'm wondering if it's not... <laughs> Again, I understand how terrible it is to say something like that, but if it's not a good thing in the end. Um, I'm wondering if the fact that you know we're seeing more and more of those doesn't mean that they're losing a little bit of their impact. Because... Obviously, the, the, the strength of a terrorist attack is the psychological impact, and obviously it's always going to have a lot of it. Uh, but if it becomes sadly too common, and it's, it's a tragedy that, that is less traumatizing every time it happens, maybe, I'm not saying, you know, it will get people to have to do less of them even. I, I'm not even sure it would diminish the, the number, but it sort of takes away a little bit of the, the power of these attacks because, yes, they kill people, and that's terrible, but uh, everyone has heard the statistics about how terrorist attacks kill so many fewer people than, you know, silly things like, well, or not silly things like, I don't know, road accidents and things like that. It, the real power is not in the loss of life. The power is in the terror, right? So if the terror and the trauma and the uh, horribleness is diminished, maybe it takes away a little bit of the power that the terrorists have. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just a thought. I don't know if it even matters because the people are still dying. But uh, what do you guys think? Is that maybe... You know the the theology major Brecky can uh, tell me if I'm being insane thinking that the taking away some of the terror means I don't know it's some silver lining. I, I think you're partly right, but um, the the bigger problem here I think still has to do with the media reporting of various events, uh, especially when you know related to major ISIS attacks at the moment. I mean, two weeks ago, 47 people were killed in Baghdad. And I'm guessing not a lot of people know this story because it's not reported in major, at least Western media. Uh, last week, um, 35 people were killed in Ankara in Turkey. Same thing. Not a lot of people talking about it. And then 34 people are killed in, in Belgium or Brussels and everybody's talking about it. And I think this has more to do with, you know, uh, Western news is highlighting that, you know, this Muslims are against us mentality, uh, which is really scary because... You know, until we understand that it's ISIS against the world, which includes Muslims, we're not going to be able to defeat a common enemy. And what's happening right now is the media is kind of intentionally making Western nations or Christian nations scared. And um, I don't think that's going to stop just because people get a little bit jaded. Um, this is still news and this is still worthy to speak about. Um, but I suppose you are right that, you know, in a, in a way we are getting jaded and that's Um, that's good news in that way. But it might also be bad news in that the uh, 
the terrorists decide that, well, in that case, you know, somebody just blowing themselves up at an airport isn't good enough. We're going to have to go bigger. We're going to have to go even worse. And, uh, and that could also be very scary. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, this, this um, latest thing in Brussels uh, affected me personally very, very much because um, uh, when we woke up that morning, I just uh, received a friend who flew in from Brussels 14 hours before it happened. Uh, we were still lying in my bed when we were reading the news on our respective cell phones. And she was like, I was, I was standing there pointing at the pictures just 14 hours ago. Um, so that was, that was really scary. And then the news about the, the train station came in and she, uh, she sent me a text message because she was already um, at work. She sent me a text message. Did you hear about the train station? I was like, yeah, yeah. I lived right next to the train station while I was there. She was just there over the weekend and, you know, it, it all, it was all, you know, exactly where she was. So had she delayed her trip back or had the terrorists, you know, blown themselves up a day earlier, um, that could have been her. So that kind of thing puts it in a lot of perspective. You know, I, we sort of addressed the, the issue of reporting on things that are too foreign, both geographically in distance and in, you know, culture. And I think you sort of, you're addressing it yourself right now. The difference between what happens, you know, in, in Syria and, you know, Ankara and where there are terrorist attacks I think is just the fact that it it's less uh cl it's less close to us in in it it we aren't walking in those you know marketplaces mm -hmm. and train stations the day before or you know not as much so I think that's why also I think both are elements of of you know the reason why it's it's not reported on as much as the things that affect us, even though it's just as tragic. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's less close, but it's also a lot more common in, in those countries. So it's yeah, a yeah, combination sure. of several factors. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else you want to add, Guillaume? Or uh, yes. Yeah, actually, there are a lot of stuff we could talk about. Um, so one, one part of the, the tragedy is that everyone's kind of shocked to noticed that the terrorists were Belgians. They were born, raised here. Uh, and so, so I mean, um, actually, um, after the Paris attacks, uh, everyone started pointing finger, fingers at a specific um, municipality in Brussels called Molenbeek, which is, uh, so for those who don't know, it's uh, at the northwest of Brussels. Um, and it's next to another municipality called Scarbeek. And uh, th those two municipalities are, um, are mostly inhabited by um, North African population, by Muslim populations. Um, I, I, to give you an idea, I live at the, um, the southeast, so at the, the other side of town. So I, I rarely ever go there. But... Um, the, the 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 thing that everyone's kind of worried about is that this this environment seems to have been uh, co conducive to radicalization. It's we notice that Belgians, people who live there, were able to get enrolled by ISIS, and we wonder how that happened and just what happened there exactly. Uh, and yeah, everyone's kind of uh, suspecting that the, how can I say this, the identitarian closure, if that's, if that's the correct way to phrase it, 
seems to have been envir- an environment that's conducive to radicalization. When you uh, say uh, when you say closure, you mean uh, the 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 fact that it's circum circ uh, how to call yeah. it? It's it's only in that place, right? It's it's very isolated, well, it, I guess, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. It's kind of isolation, like it's 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 um, populations that don't feel interact. Uh, well, integrated. I was gonna say, like they, they don't feel European. They 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 feel like uh, I was talking about this with a Muslim friend of mine yesterday, uh, Yusuf. Um, uh, th- there are places in Skarbek where. Uh, all the all the shops uh, have uh, have titles in Turkish. People in the street uh, speak in Turkish, um, uh, and people there apparently barely speak any French. Um, and so it's it's uh, it's uh, yeah yeah. Is is it correct if I call this identitarian closure? Uh, I, no, I don't think closure would be the right term, but uh, mm. I, I think isolation might be a better yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, kind, kind mm. of yeah. Mm. No, but this kind of thing exists everywhere, like Chinatown, uh, Koreatown in some places. So people uh, with the same ethnicity and background tend to uh, mm-hmm. stick together. So yeah. it's not just, you know, a Muslim thing or a Turkish thing. It's everybody, wherever you... Right, but but specifically, it's not something you notice here in Brussels with... Because obviously Brussels is the capital of Europe. It's You have a lot of... If you go to uh, so Malbec, the, the place that got um, exploded, um, uh, you, you find... It's the European quarter, so you find a lot of Italian, German, um, Spanish people everywhere, lots of foreign people. And obviously, you know, those are bad examples. But specifically, uh, the the Molenbeek and Scarbeek um, seem. I mean, it's it's kind of how how you feel when you live here. You you feel that um, those places are, are just. Uh, it's 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 also places that are that are kind of unsafe to go to. Um, if you if 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 you are a young white person and you go there at night you 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 you're not you're not very safe um it's a ghetto basically it's a yeah it's yeah a, yeah and mm. well we have the same thing here in dubai like some mm-hmm. places in dubai like downtown dubai is basically indian like every, wherever you go you'll find indian people indian shops uh, indian houses some places you will have uh, europeans and let's say just between air quotations white people others have arab so people you know, congregate together, they stick together wherever you put them, whether it's right. in Brussels, in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, or in Dubai. Um, right, well, to, to it, give you it, it maybe... Happens, yeah. Yeah, to, to give you maybe a, a, an example that's kind of um, more 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 speaking, um, when... Right, oh, actually, that's an, another thing that's interesting to say. Um, the, the the main suspect for the Paris attack uh, was, um, was called Salah Abdeslam, and yeah. he was from Molenbeek, and he had managed to retreat there all the way from Paris, and he was in hiding there for four months. Um, and so they finally managed to found, find him um, uh, there on Friday, and they, they, they arrested him. They, they, he, he was put in jail. Um, but th- what was interesting to notice is that when when the police came to pick him up, to, to arrest him and to raid uh, all the houses... The population in the streets, you, you can see that on TV, were very aggressive with the police, very like, you're not welcome here, what are you doing, and just get away from here. And th- there was sort of this um, 
impression that the 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 the, 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 the population there was very um, antagonistic with uh, the, the 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 government. And another thing that that you notice is that Salah Abdeslam was hanging out in Molenbeek for four months, and people there had seen him, and nobody had reported him. And it's it's kind of scary when you when you think about it. Yeah, I think there's is, there's yeah. there's a specific um, thing happening in in this. I don't know if it's fair to call it a ghetto, but in this Belgian ghetto mm-hmm. is is the term I'm going to use. Uh, I mean, certainly what you're describing sort of echoes some of the things we're seeing in some. Uh, uh, neighborhoods in France and you know it's going to echo some of the things we're hearing about some neighborhoods you know black neighborhoods in the US or mm-hmm. I'm sure in other places uh obviously the people who are going to be rad- radicalized like this might be radicalized in in this kind of environment so it's not surprising they would come from it um there's been a lot of discussions about the ties that the uh, Belgian government has with <laughs> Uh, Saudi Arabia and sort of turning a blind eye to uh, radical thinking in exchange for uh, contracts and that has sort of insinuated this kind of uh, uh, radicalism in in some of the portions of the country. I mean, Belgium has already, as you were saying, Guillaume, had been pointed to um, after the Paris attacks already. So there's def- definitely, you know, Something yeah, happened. There's a there, problem. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It's... Uh, let, me, let me give you an example, a parallel example in Jordan. Uh, in Jordan, in Amman, particularly the capital, uh, before 2003, basically the Iraq war, Amman was like about a million, million and a half in population, uh, divided between uh, original Jordanians or authentic Jordanians and those Jordanians of Palestinian descent. Uh, the Jordanians of Palestinian descent, okay, they concentrated in eastern Amman in, in uh, neighborhoods that still are called camps, okay, because once they were actual camps for refugees and then they got built up and became, you know, neighborhoods and buildings, and they're still till, till, till this day called a camp. And what happened there is exactly what's happening in this district of Brussels that you're talking about. People are there are, are uh, identify as Palestinian and they... Uh, antagonize the the Jordanian authority. Uh, the police at uh, certain stages in Amman's history did not dare to go in there. So what, if you want to hide or you, you want to disappear and you uh, have a Palestinian origin, you will go there. So uh, this parallel, you can take it and transfer it to the Muslim parallel that you have around Europe. I'm not sure, not just Brussels. I'm sure in France, at some point, it was like this. And, uh, I think you can see it in most European countries at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, and and this is, uh, I noticed this of all Muslim population in Europe. Uh, Muslims, uh, the majority of them, uh, have have a duality that uh, uh, just in contradiction. They, they 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 say they want to go to Europe, to live in Europe. Europe is better. We have a better chance of a good life there, education, safety for our children. And yet, when they are there, okay, they hate everything about it. And, and this will, you will hear this. Look, you will hear this from uh, anti-Muslims uh, uh, or Islamophobes or right-wing people, and, and they're just not assimilating. They don't want us. They, they hate us. And uh, I like to be honest. People hate me for this most of the time, but I have to. I have to be honest. Uh, the thing is, most of them they do. 
they hate their life there. They hate the European way of life. Not all of them, okay, a good portion of them. And that's why they tend to to, to become uh, radicalized and become so extreme in, in, uh, even if they're born there and live there all their life. Because they're in a community that's closed off, that is uh, very weary of losing its identity uh, and its faith and its religion. And they will, uh, let's say, stick with it or uh, uh, bite with their teeth on it, not to lose it. And I don't know, I, I haven't been there, I haven't lived there, but this is what I see from, from the news, from, from the media, from people speaking in general, this is what I feel. And for me personally, like if, if we were talking in 2005, when, when I finished university, uh, and you were asking me, would you go to Europe, would you go to the States? I would say no. This, is, has, this has been my, my, uh, my choice since the beginning, like, I don't want to get there. This is a different culture. I don't accept a lot of things that uh, the, uh, the Western European community or the American communities take for granted and uh, call correct. I call them wrong. So why, why would I live there? Okay, if I want to live there, I need to accept uh, what the community I want to live in takes for uh, their morals, their, uh, their social identity, what they uh, deem correct and what they, de what they deem wrong. And if I disagree with them, I shouldn't be there. For me, this it's that simple. You know, there's. I think there's a. F first of all, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, but and in the sense that the real question all of this asks, and that we don't have an answer to, that everyone has their own answer to, is going to tell the other one is wrong, is the question yeah. of identity, right? It's it's how do you preserve the culture and the mm -hmm. identity mm -hmm. of someone who has a different one? How much is too much? Because you know, if you completely change the culture of the country you're in to you know swap it with your own obviously that's too much but if you have to be sort of in a totalitarian way uh change everything that you are to become uh, exactly like the, the 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 ones that are around you that's not good either but i think one key element uh that you're not uh addressing in what you're saying mahmoud is at least that's how I feel in France. It's not the immigrants that are the, 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 the ones that make these issues. It is the second and third and sometimes fourth generation, mm -hmm. you know, of, of uh, uh, immigrants that are, it's what Guillaume was saying, they're Belgians. And the ones in France, there are a lot of them that are French. It's not that they came, you know, five years ago and they're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to curse. Fuck this place. I'm going to blow it up. It's <laughs> that their parents and, and grandparents came and they don't feel like they belong still. And I mean, we say they, I think it's important also to remind everyone or, you know, to mention the obvious. It's a very, very small portion of those people that yeah. that yes. feel that strongly, right? It's it, yes. the majority of them, even if they do have gripes, you know, if some of them have gripes with the way the their culture is represented in, in this country, I, I don't think they would even consider, you know, they still feel French. And I think a lot of them would, would say, I'm French and I want, you know, my identity to be integrated and to be recognized in these ways and these ways. But I don't think a lot of them would blow up anyone. Um, so I just wanted to mention it because but still that the 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 it, it, what you were saying, Mahmoud, was very interesting. But it's not the immigrants that blow themselves up. It's the look, Patrick, right. even the second generation and third generation, 
uh, we say they're Belgian, we say they're French, they were born there and they were raised there, but who raised them? They didn't uh, grow, grow up in isolation of their community. They, they grew up within this district that is closed off and it's uh, predominantly their culture and their, and their religion. And when they see, see the larger community which they are in, whether it's France, uh, United States, United Kingdom, or Belgium, or any place in Europe, uh, bombing their original country, their parents' country, their grandparents' country, they will, they will disconnect from this community because they, they, they will think that I'm not French. If I'm French, why does my people bomb my people? In this mm. case, uh, Salah Abdeslam was a. So he was born in Brussels, but his uh, his parents, his ancestors, were from Morocco, and so I don't I don't okay. think you can say no. Well, Morocco wasn't bombed. Uh, uh, you have to understand that the Arab world is the one unit. Okay, they may All have right. borders, and you may call it Morocco, Algiers, uh, Tunisia, Palestine, Damascus, whatever. We're still the same people. We have the same religion. Okay. We speak the same language. Uh, and most of us hate these borders. Most of the people in the Arab world, if they, if they, if you give them the choice, keep the border or abolish it, they will abolish the border. So what happens in Syria? Okay, I feel it as it's uh, if it's happening to me. What happens in in Morocco happens to me as well. And definitely, what happens in in in, in Syria and Iraq and uh, Palestine, everybody is affected by it. And there is a lot of bad blood. Okay, even with the north, especially with the northern northern Africans, when it comes to uh, to the French, okay, uh, Algiers, for example, Algiers is known, okay, in the Arab world as the the country of the million martyrs. Million martyrs, they didn't die killing each other; they died on the hands of the French. And people don't forget that, even if they were born in France. And I think it's also uh, in, important to to mention. I don't think. Well, maybe you know the terrorists specifically if they go back to their country uh, maybe they, they they would be happy you know to their country of origin but i think a no, no, lot this of is, those, this is Patrick, uh, this is the duality i was talking about they hate their country but they hate europe when they go to it right this is the that, same thing yeah, yeah yeah i mean a, a lot of the of the second and third generation immigrants when they go back to the country of their grandparents they not only do they not feel uh, you know like it's their country But it's also, they are, I mean, this is a topic that is heavily discussed uh, all the time in France. They feel like, you know, they're being made to be, to, to feel like they're not welcome here. They're the French person or they're, I'm guessing, yeah. I don't know, the Belgian person. Second, so, second rate or third rate right, uh, citizens right. sometimes. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. Right. Uh, And so, I mean, I... In the past couple of days, I've tried to, you know, research uh, all this stuff and try to understand what exactly led to this. Uh, and one one thing I found out is that apparently, uh, for for those young um, 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 young Muslims that, that that are frustrated with their way of lives, um, the apparently for some of them, jihadism offers kind of a kind of a way to purify everything in their life, all, all their problems, all their sufferings. And it's kind of, I mean, it, it, you, you have to think about how they, they get, um, how they get um, exposed to, no, exposed to, yeah, to radicalization, to jihadism. And so, yeah, we, obviously the, 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 the attacks occurred only a couple of days ago. So in Belgium, we, we have not had um, sort of a, 
new laws or reforms or sort of a, a response to the to those attacks but in, in france you can see that they they've had uh, the the stories with um uh, mass surveillance on the internet stories with uh, uh loss of uh, nationality etc um but w one one thing that i mean uh, as i said it, it it hasn't happened in belgium yet I, I don't know if it's gonna happen but often politicians point fingers to the internet they say that the the, the internet is the problem and that um th that's where um radicalization occurs and according to the research i did um in i mean it, it has changed now but in say 2012 there were a lot of facebook pages that were like um promoting that stuff and, and you would see a lot of young muslims uh, leaving their countries going to syria and then uh, taking selfies with their um, kalashnikovs and then and then uh, getting like a, a lot of success with the girls and stuff um, and so it, it, i mean it seems like um, that i mean you know we we i mean patrick and i were were tech nerds um, and so we we often uh, don't have a very good reaction when we hear uh, politicians c complain about w w about you know just the dangers of the internet, etc. But uh, it seems like that's the main vector, you know. That's how the the young frustrated Muslims in Wallenbeck get exposed to that stuff, and so you need to wonder how how we can you know just solve that problem, and it's it's a hard question. All right. I think I want to move on from from the topic. It's definitely a difficult, you know, the, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. cause. Basically, it's just everyone is wondering how this can happen. I think is, uh, and and we're, yeah. we all have theories and answers, and I don't know that we have solutions yet. But um, anyway, um, all right. Let's talk about something else. Uh, sure, Mah Mahmoud. Why don't you? Uh, Tell us what's been happening in uh, Jordan, apparently. Uh, okay, well, the story in Jordan for uh, for the past month was the students' uh, protest in Amman at the Jordanian University. Uh, and by the way, this is kind of my solution to the problem that we were talking about earlier. Uh, my solution is education. And especially for us here in the region, those people who will join the jihadis and adopt the way of life, uh, I think just better education will, will keep them out of it. And unfortunately, it's it's not a good situation for education in the Arab world right now. And what's happened in Jordan in the past month, uh, it's kind of unique in recent history where we have a student protest that actually uh, is major and uh, succeeds at the end with its demands. Uh, it started uh, around two years ago when the Jordanian University, which is the oldest uh, university in Jordan and uh, one of the oldest in the Arab world, um, I think it's 60 years old now, uh, they decided two years ago to increase the tuition fees by uh, uh, from 30 uh, ranging from 30 percent to 200 percent in an in increase in tuition fees and uh, the student movements which was small uh, uh, for the past like 10 years there is a movement called the Bahtuna or uh, you're killing us uh, started protesting on, on a small scale for the past two years 
and it uh, didn't go nowhere like nobody uh, paid them any attention uh, uh, not even like the higher educational council or the government even acknowledged that there is a problem and they have demands until recently they decided well we're, we're gonna go an open strike and it started small and it lasted for 20 days and by the end there were like five six thousand students just uh, sitting in in, uh, in front of the university, uh, inside the university, in the campus. Uh, oh, so they got in, their fr- way. in France, we, we call that Tuesday morning. That's yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> Strikes well, is yeah. a common thing. Sorry, uh, keep going. I just yeah, no, had to say in, something in, in about recent, strikes. Yeah, yeah. and in recent, I was, was going to bring up France, actually, because in recent <laughs> years, strikes in Jordan have become a normal thing. With any union in Jordan now, in the past three, four, five years, they, they had a strike or two. Uh, but it's not that a big of issue uh, like it's in France because uh, life doesn't stop because we don't have uh, railways or, or metros that uh, if the people in the union there start uh, decided to strike, like public transportation will, will shut down. Uh, what we right. have is uh, the normal unions like teachers' union and uh, uh, doctors' unions and some uh, specific industri- industries like uh, uh, phosphate uh, union workers and potash working union, those people who strike and in the port of Aqaba also, the port workers. But it doesn't uh, get the, the normal life to a standstill like it, sometimes it happens in France. Uh, but in recent years, it has been increasing. And, and this is one of the biggest, uh, uh, let's say, strikes or, or protests that uh, was covered and actually succeeded in, in, in getting what they want. And what was very interesting about this protest, uh, uh, following it uh, through the 20 days that it happened, it was almost like a microscopic Arab Spring, like in every way. Like the, when, the, when, the, when the people, or in this case the students, uh, decided to say no, okay, it started small, they gathered in the square, and they grew and grew and grew, and the response from, from the university president is almost to an exact like Arab dictators. Like really? he was, uh, yeah, yeah, and this is why it was very surprising. And uh, the government actually, I think they, they woke up to this fact at the end and they had put an end to it by giving the students what they want. Cause the, the, so the, the they wanted the, the tuition to go back to the, to the normal rates? Yes, yes, rate. yes. Mm. yes. Uh, Jordan has been known in the Arab world for, uh, since the 60s and early 50s that it has, uh, let's say, top-notch education. Like we have uh, foreign students from all around the Arab world coming to Jordan for, for the, uh, the strength of our education systems. And uh, in the past, let's say starting this millennia, from after 99, a lot of changes came to Jordan. It started with a new king, new liberals, uh, privatization of everything. And this has affected the, the, the education system uh, directly. And it's been on the declines ever since. And now it's, it's almost unbearable for, for the students. Hence this protest that never happened before in, in at least when i uh, during my lifetime uh, before that there was but during my lifetime i didn't see anything like this normally what happens in, in universities in the last 15 20 years is just uh uh what do you call them oh god uh fights basically just fights between students uh, students fight each other uh, knives sometimes guns uh, sometimes people the students die inside the university but it has nothing to do with with any socioeconomic uh, stuff, it's usually about a chair that somebody took and somebody says, this is mine, or a girl that somebody said something bad to. 
And now this is this is very surprising and 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 gives me some hope that the 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 the, the intellectual level of these students is is coming back. Uh, but let let me go back to the to the university uh, president. Uh, who, who started by not acknowledging that the protest is happening, to saying that uh, these protest, uh, protesters are motivated by foreign agendas. Really? And then, yeah. And uh, going to saying that uh, there are people who are doing drugs and alcohols among the protesters. This rings any bells, Gaddafi, maybe? Yeah, uh, no, it's a, you're yeah. right. It's exactly yeah. it's exactly like the Arabs. Well, like any protest in, in a uh, uh, dictatorship, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and and the the the, the tragedy that that like there is a good side and there is a bad side. The, the good side that students woke up and got what they want, but the bad side is even our university students operates in a mentality like a dictator. Uh, so this and this will give you an idea of how the Arab world works. Like mm. even at that level, they are dictators with the with with the egotistic manias of of Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein and Bashar al-Assad. Mm. And and when it came to this, and like the general public started laughing at first at him, just like they, they did with Gaddafi. But then it, it became serious and. Uh, uh, thankfully, before anything happened, there was no violence. The, the protest did not spill out into the streets, it stayed within the university campus. But the government at the end, uh, and by the government, I mean the king, the king of Jordan, King Abdullah II, uh, said, enough is enough, give the students what they want, cancel the, the tuition uh, raise. And they uh, did not renew for the, the president uh, for another term, the university, because it's terms for the presidents so of the university. He was, he was not basically in, deposed, was, I guess? He was, exactly. He was sacked. Uh, and now they're uh, choosing another one instead of him. And this is something that never happened in Jordan. This is the first time I see something like this, except for maybe the teachers' union. The, uh, for the past 30 years, teachers did not have a union in Jordan, and they only had it like three years ago when, when they went on full strikes, and school came to a halt in Jordan for at least a week, uh, I think in, uh, four years ago. So uh, for me, this is this is a good thing. This is hope for okay. my country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's it sounds like you know uh, the the I'm I'm wondering what was it seen as the the king capitulating to to you know the giving up on his on the principle because they they had something that had been decided and then they went back on it. Um, well, the, see, the the thing is, the, uh, the tuition hike was not the decision of the uh, university president. It was the decisions of the decision of the dean council. We have something called the trustees council of the university. Not even the ministry of education or higher education or the government. This is an internal okay. university thing. Okay, but it got to a level where the parliament actually got involved to mediate between the university and the students. And when the parliament got involved, members of the parliament started mediating, and they got uh, they they say they we had we had a breakthrough, but then the, the students uh, went back on their word, and the government got involved, and then the king got involved. Now the king in Jordan is is not uh, viewed like a dictator or like, like Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, and he's not directly he is he is actually in control of everything, but he's not viewed as as the direct 
commander of these issues not it's not the king who said rise the tuition and it's not the king who uh, told the police to maybe uh, uh, evict some people from a square or something uh, the king is viewed with a good eye actually in jordan and uh, at the end of this situation people expect the king to uh, to to intervene and let's say rule in favor of the of the general public the general population and this is what happened at the end because the, the the president of the university just stuck to his guns and said nope nothing going to change whether you like it or not stay in the street and the students actually did not have a protest where they uh, stopped going to lectures they had it after their lectures from 3 p.m till the next day morning and they went they will go to the lectures and after they finish they come back to for the sit-in uh, at the campus uh, so it was very intelligent on the part of the students but it showed the the state of the of the administration of the of the universities and schools in Jordan, which is shocking. We all knew about it, but now we faced it on TV. Mm -hmm. He was on programs talking and laughing at them, so we had to face it face to face. Let's say, and uh, right. You mean that that aspect of like a dictator, yes. like yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. The the resemblance was uncanny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Mahmoud. Um, let's go to Brecky, uh, who is telling us about the real dangers of uh, immigration, right? The, the, <laughs> the, the terrible aspects of uh, those foreign bodies invading our, our sovereign borders. Yes. Um, yeah, there, there's been a lot of talk about immigration this episode and uh, people from various places living in other places. But we haven't gotten to the root of the matter and the, the real problem, which is, is, of course, the signal crayfish. It's a North American species of crayfish introduced into Europe in the 1960s to supplement the Scandinavian fisheries, which were being damaged by crayfish plague. But apparently the imports have turned out to be a carrier of that disease. So the signal crayfish is now an invasive species across most of northern Europe and uh, Japan, and they're actually ousting the native species. So Scandinavian crayfish are being killed by these terrible, terrible North American crayfish. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we're laughing, but this is a big deal in Sweden? Um, it, it's becoming a bit of a deal because we've discovered that there is... Um, uh, and this was the big problem in uh, in Norway um, not that long ago. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this is maybe 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, and then, you know, there was another huge problem in the 1970s with a um, a small ectoparasite. It, it's about, you know, half a millimeter long. So you, you can hardly see it, but, you know, under a microscope and so on. Um, it, it's a leech-like parasite that um, attaches itself to salmon. So um, you can understand that Norway was, you know, terrified when this thing started appearing. Uh, it's called the Gyrodactylus salaris. Uh, it's often called the um, the salmon fluke. And, oh, that uh, sounds yeah, terrible. And I yeah, completely <laughs> understand, living in Finland now, I understand how something, you know, affecting salmon would be a, mm -hmm. a national tragedy in any Scandinavian country. Right, right, exactly. I mean, here in Sweden, it's, it's a little uh, bit less of a problem. Um, our main fish is uh, trout. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Norway or Iceland, then, uh, you know, anything affecting the salmon would be would be terrible um so the the reason this is news now with the uh, gyrodactylus salaris is um they found a way to kill the parasites without harming the hosts and they're doing um some experiments in norway and um 
it just got me thinking, you know, here we are, we're killing an invasive species because it's been doing harm to the natives. How, how would that, you know, translate to anything except uh, animal species? Um, so are they, they're different kinds and we need to preserve both, I guess? Um, I suppose. So it's... Yeah, that sort of I mean, nobody, takes nobody's us Nobody's saying in, like, oh my God, all, all these crayfish are terrible. We should go to North America and kill the crayfish that are there. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a problem. <laughs> that, that yeah, yeah, this is this is a weed problem. Like when you have a, a farm or a garden, you got some weed, you have to take it out. Right. But, the but, are, yeah. but are the, the, the U.S. crayfish not as good, not as delicious to eat as the, the, the Scandinavian crayfish? Yeah, I was just, just thinking that. Maybe yeah. you guys, uh, Perky, you're missing out on, on this new <laughs> kind of fish. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, as far as I know, it's actually not been uh, this kind of crayfish. The signal crayfish is not one that you eat. Ah, um, so maybe so that's it's, it's, killing the, uh, it's killing the eatable crayfish or the edible crayfish. Well, I can tell you that, uh, again, knowing how things go when it's crayfish season in Finland, not having crayfish to eat would be a national tragedy. It would be I know. Yeah, something to go to war over. But uh, Right. It, it, like, imagine if France ran, ran out of wine. That, oh, my God. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Or if Belgium ran out of beer. Right. Or I was going to say waffles, but... Um, or waffles, right. Waffles, fries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that you know, in that case, I completely understand it. If you can't eat the the uh, evil American crayfish, the the good for nothing American crayfish that you can't even eat, um, then yeah, destroy them all. I I understand. But you know, mm. it's taking the the analogy is taking me in 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 a territory I'm not very comfortable yeah. exploring. So. Um, Which is kind of the reason I brought it up, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think that's one analogy too far. It's kind of, you know, when you say, when you have a problem and you're like, oh, but it's like, imagine if this were that. And, and then you realize that it doesn't hold. I think it breaks down a little bit, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, what if the, once you start going, you know, closer and closer to, to humanity, I mean, it, it's easy to think about plankton and small flowers and crayfish. But we also have, for example, the, the tanuki, the, the raccoon dog, which is a canid indigenous to East Asia, which is also becoming a, a bit of a problem. I mean, it, it's not like it's, um, um, you know, multiplying here in Scandinavia, but, you know, we're seeing them, especially in Finland, for example. Um, we're seeing the tanuki um, uh, affecting the population of uh, small birds and uh, frogs, for example. Yeah. So, we, uh, you and, know, and, and this is have... a mammal. I know, I know. And there are, there are, I mean, in the countryside here, it's apparently a big topic. There are like wolves being introduced uh, here and there and, and eagles coming back that uh, apparently next to one of my uh, extended family's uh, 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 houses, there's a, an eagle and they have a small dog and they, the eagle was circling around the dog when they were walking it. So, yeah. And and it's a, an eagle that is uh, native to the region. It was just reintroduced. So, damn these immigrants affecting our dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, we, we laugh. But still, it is it is an interesting problem. I mean, we all remember the news from Australia where they introduced the species that was supposed to take uh, care of some sort of insect, but then that species, a, a kind of frog, uh, just multiplied rapidly. 
And then they introduced the fox, I think it was, to kill, uh, to kill those frogs. But then that fox multiplied. And ever since, you know, there's been a ban on importing animals to Australia because they, they just don't know what's going to happen. Well, Their ecosystem don't. is so weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Australia. The, the first think. animal introduced to Australia was human beings that got That's out of point. hand. <laughs> <laughs> Damn um, humans. Yeah, it, it basically all of the uh, let's let's make friends with the Australians. It was all of the convicts, you know, that yeah. went and ruined the native populations. Uh, yeah. Country. They're not or, even the good humans. They sent the yeah, bad exactly. Humans there. It's, it's just all of the convicts and the ones we didn't want. Just like what what was Trump saying about the Mexicans? Um, mm. All right. Let's, so what let's, you're saying is we should build a wall around Australia <laughs> and, and, make, should, and make Mexico pay for it. No, New Zealand can pay for it. <laughs> no, I think we should build a wall around our uh, Scandinavian crayfish and protect them from the invading U.S. crayfish. Interesting. Mm. So under, we build a wall around them wall. to protect them, like a gated community of sorts. <laughs> they could have, a, a, you know, doors where there are, there are armed guards or pin codes. Or we find a way to build individual crayfish wall, tiny walls <laughs> around each crayfish to protect it from the, the uh, tiny U.S. crayfish with... I'm sure they have guns. That's why they kill all the other crayfish. Mm -hmm. so, well, yeah, they're American. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh. Big noise with guns. We all know all this right. to be true. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's funny you should mention a wall around the crayfish because it already has its skeleton on the outside. Yeah, yeah, I did. Exactly. It, it already has a built-in wall. It's just that emboldened by uh, the Trump wall, the U.S. crayfish has a bigger wall. What was mm. it, like 30 feet? feet? Um, the, the wall he wants to build? Anyway, all right, let's, let's move on. I, I thought that, you know... Um, Obviously, when the events in Brussels happened, I I thought, oh, my God, again. And mm -hmm. then I figured this show is going to turn into a series of discussions about terrorist attacks, which it is. It's fair enough. Uh, that's, you know, what's happening in the world. And that's what we're going to discuss and hopefully uh, provide interesting perspectives on, on all of this. But I thought for this episode, I'm not going to do another, you know, I am Belgium, I, you know, title and, and episode art. Instead, I'm going to talk about the fact that it's spring in uh, the Nordic countries. And it's a kind of spring that I've, I haven't really experienced before. Um, basically, when my wife came to live in France, she was saying, oh, you guys don't know how seasons work you know you don't have real seasons and i didn't really understand what she meant but ever since you know i've been in in finland for a couple of months now and it's really interesting to see like basically the picturesque nature of the changing of the seasons like winter is actual winter It's like it has snow, it's freaking cold, it's freezing. Um, if you have a car, then you, you probably have to go and get the frost out of the windshield with a like special tool. Like it's 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 and that I sounds know, great. I, <laughs> it's not why would anyone not want to live here? Um but you know, I'm sure a lot of people living in these kinds of latitudes are going to be, you know, finding all of this very ridiculous. But then When spring arrives, it's like the, 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 again, it's kind of the movie like spring with like the flowers blooming and like life coming back. It's, it's really that 
that that feeling that I never had, and and maybe it's because I'm a city boy and I'm a Parisian and it's concrete everywhere, and it's the same in every you know part of the in in the countryside in Paris in, in France as well. But definitely here, there's this feeling that in winter everything goes dead, and then you know the return of Baldur uh, ushers the, the life comes back to the land right and that is what spring is and you have the the flowers budding and the snow melts away it's a feeling that i never really had in in 40 years of life uh because i've never lived in a country where there were now i understand what real seasons are <laughs> um and i don't know i'm wondering if if you guys think i i mean Mahmoud, you you might be thinking well you know we have seasons it's called summer and it lasts a year <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, not, not here in the UAE. Actually, this is this is the Gulf. This is desert. We don't we don't we have summer and we have uh, summers with summers with with high humidity and the rest is just no humidity. But it's hot all the year. Right. So it's basically a year long summer, right? Yeah. Yeah. The dry yeah. summer and, uh, and the wet summer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I spent uh, a couple of uh, about a week in uh, Oman during uh, I think it was June or July. And it's probably the best weather I've ever had in my entire life. It was about 40, Oman, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 40 Oman is, 45 degrees different. of uh, centigrade, uh, no humidity, and then just a gentle breeze from the Gulf. Yeah, the best yeah. weather imaginable, in my opinion. But then again, I come from snowy Scandinavia. <laughs> but, well, this is it. I, I, if I choose to wish, I, I will. Uh, to, uh, sorry, if I choose to live somewhere, I would choose some, some place where there is permanent snow. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Canada for me is is amazing, and Scandinavia. So, mm -hmm. if if I want to live somewhere, I, I will choose that place. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. you know, I'm I'm I think I'm not sure if I'm gonna like the cycling of seasons uh, in in that way. I'm I'm I, I maybe it's because I'm more used to it, but a more gentle, uh, more southern uh, European weather or weather where you still have some mockery of winter where you know there's snow a couple of days uh, in the year and you're like ah oh, it's snowing no really it isn't um and but then you have a real summer that is kind of hot and i, I mean it's still snowing here and we're almost in april it's kind of frustrating but yeah i don't know i thought i'd, I'd mention the wonders of the seasons to take us out uh in a more you know, a lighter note than... Mm -hmm. uh, a joyful note. Yeah, exactly. The joy of spring. <laughs> we have um, this tradition in Sweden that um, is, is so natural to everybody that it doesn't even have a name. I mean, it, it's, it's like breathing and sleeping. It just comes naturally. Um, during the first few days of, of proper spring, Sweden essentially comes to a standstill because people stop in the streets wherever there is sun and they just close their eyes and angle mm -hmm. their face toward the sun Uh, as if they were flowers, you know, finally yeah. photosynthesizing for the first time after four or five months. And it, it's, it's just a, a glorious thing to see because, I mean, people miss their bus on their way to work because they're just sitting there enjoying the feeling of the sun on their face for the first time in ages. That I have absolutely seen this in Finland as well. And I'm sure that all of Scandinavia uh, has this. People sitting by the, the sea, Uh, you know, just their eyes closed facing towards the sun. And I, I look at this and I'm like, what is, what I don't <laughs> even, you know. 
and uh, and maybe but you know if i spend the winter here which i might not but uh, if i spend the winter here maybe i'm going to turn into one of those weird flower creatures that takes in the sun when it first comes up comes out uh, i think you will spring yeah mm-hmm. haven't you already spent the winter now uh no i arrived in uh, early february so i didn't have oh, the, okay. the, the worst of it yeah. mm-hmm. all right i think that's gonna make a show for us uh thank you so much to everyone uh being on the show before i take us out i want to uh, read a review on itunes by feldoran from the u.s i'm guessing he's not a crayfish uh he's saying um or she global views for a global age i absolutely love this show and the multiple views from around the world that get expressed thank you so much feldoran and if you want to uh help the show a little bit well you could participate in the Patreon, which is still going strong at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. If you think the show is valuable, then, you know, consider um, sending a few bucks our way. Uh, but if you, you know, you don't feel like it, then uh, going on iTunes or your podcast uh, catalog of choice and leaving a review and a few stars would uh, also help uh, giving... Uh, exposing the show to more people so uh, either itunes or another podcast catalog or patreon.com slash the phileas club where a bunch of people are um, sending money our way and we are eternally grateful and thankful Uh, before we close the show can you guys please tell me and us where we can find you on the internet if people want to hear more from you Um, i guess let's start with uh, guillaume with me all right um, well, people can find me on twitter.com slash geeko86. Uh, there will be a link in the description, I'm sure. Yep. Um, and uh, if you, I mean, so I, I didn't explain better. In, in my daily life, I'm a student in computer science, but also develop an Android app called Quick Lyric. And so if you're an Android user and you love listening to music and you love lyrics, uh, you might want to go to www.quicklyric.be. Quick Lyric, uh, singular, not plural. No, uh, that, because it, it needs to rhyme, you understand. Oh, right. Quick Lyric. Okay. All right. Excellent. How slick. <laughs> I know. But everyone does the mistake all the time, so I should probably buy the other domain. Yeah, I think you should have both. That's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a neat trick. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> Mahmoud? Uh, yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter, uh, as always, at Sanzu83, and you'll have it in the show notes, as yep. always. Of course. Yeah. And finally, Brecky, you have a lot to pimp. Yes, yes, I do. And I've actually taken an extended break from Twitter, so nobody's going to find me there. Um, the best way to find me is uh, Psycon.fm, which is the podcasting network that I run. Uh, we've got about a dozen different shows, and we release um, somewhere in the vicinity to 10 to 15 new episodes of stuff every single week. Uh, but if I could just recommend anything, I would recommend our show called Geek Days. So every weekday morning, we release a quick 10 to 15 minute show about the latest 24 hours in geek culture, whether that be technology news, whether that be movie news or television series or or just, you know, some scientist who realized that he could make electricity out of piss. Um, so, yeah, we, we do 10 to 15 All minutes right. of that every single weekday. And um, so, yeah, Geek Days over at Psycon.fm. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. And thank you, dear listener, for listening. You can find me I'm at uh, NotPatrick on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can, you can find the show on uh, Frenchspin.com, where you will also find a show about video games called Pixels, where we cover the news from the past couple of weeks. And uh, that's going to be it. Uh, before we leave, I want to remind everyone that I'm going to be in Japan for the next couple of months. Uh, the show will still be going. I hope we can uh, get people people to, uh, you know, will find a way to make it work with the different time zones, although, although it's always challenging uh, for this show because we have people from different places, uh, so it won't be much different, but uh, I'm hoping we can get some uh, interesting things in the show, and in general, you know, on Twitter and Facebook, um, I've lived in Japan for a while, a long time ago, uh, but I'm going to be very interesting to see how it's changed, and I'm sure I'm going to have occasions to let everyone know what interesting things I find uh, over there, so on the show of course and I'm guessing on Twitter at NotPatrick and Facebook at NotPatrick as well. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you in a few weeks. Bye! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.